We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey everybody, what's up? I am Cameron. I'm Willie. You know, I just try to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, you messed so up. So I paused. <laughs> you're that, you're going to try to be funny. In that, it. That's how I mix it up now. Yeah. I just pause. You got any dad jokes? No, a, I don't. You've been a dad for three months. Um. Yeah, I want to hear a dad joke? Yeah. Um. Well, my life sucks now. <laughs> <laughs> made you laugh. <laughs> It'll get better. <laughs> no, it I love better. I love being a dad. Yeah, your boy's cute. I love this little guy. He's just so damn cute. Yeah. I never I I can't get over how much I love this kid. Yeah. And I say it all the time. But yeah, so that's what that's what's going on with me. What's yeah. going on with you, man? Just loving that baby you got. You love my baby yeah. too? Yeah, he's cute. He's for, real special, huh? For any of the listeners that don't know or oh. haven't seen, go on Cameron's Cameron eats less food. He's so on cute. Instagram and he's check so out his baby. He's so special to me. We should do a poll. We should do a, a cute. Is my baby cute poll? No, Instagram. I I just want to know who's cuter, me or him. He is. Let's do. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't want a yes or no question because he is cute. Yeah, like, I don't want anybody to say no. Yeah, because he's cute. He is cute. Congratulations! On but that. I'm glad that I hope he always thinks that he's cute yeah because not in a conceited way because it is tough to see yourself that way right it is it can be difficult it can't you know for, we uh we have a great war story today <laughs> let's get into this show we have a great war story today um uh, comes to us from uh, lauren yes um and uh, and the reason that we're talking about this this morning is we got an excellent topic from her story she always struggled with low self-worth. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk today about overcoming low self-worth. It's something that I've struggled with. It's something you've struggled with. And it seems to be fairly common amongst addicts and alcoholics. There, just, there seems to be some version of that in every story that we've ever had on the show. Right. Yeah, which is, I, I, I find to be fascinating. And, and, and of course... Uh, you know, it's, if it's not that it's, it's some other sort of trauma that oftentimes we will drink to distinguish. Yeah. I'll say, um, for me, that was definitely a thing where, you know, I, I remember very specific moments, um, of like dating and, and having this idea that if, if this doesn't go the way that I wanted, if she doesn't like me, it's fine because at home I have an Oxycontin waiting for me, <laughs> you know, like consciously making the decision, like I will totally be okay with this decision. Um, after I, I, uh, ingest my drug of choice in yeah. order to forget about it. So what's been your, uh, your sort of journey with, with self-worth I, and I where do you think that comes from? low self-worth uh i think it comes from being sensitive to what other people think about me 
And I think it probably comes from a place where kids are quite brutal to one another. Um, I know that was the situation with me. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon to beat on each other and to degrade each other when we were children. I grew up in a trailer park and nobody in a trailer park's pretty, obviously, you know, there's these glamorous world standards and you know i think some of the stuff maybe be some some things that maybe our parents tell us or or whatever but um i look back and i can see that i've that i've had a low self-worth the majority of my life i just didn't know that that's what was going on with me you know when you're when i was 14 years old and completely nervous in every situation i went into i didn't know it had anything to do with self-worth or Mm. self-esteem right i just knew I was fucking uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, I, I look back, I look back to as a child in elementary school and there was two very distinctive, um, classes of people that rode the bus and, and it was us in the trailer park and then the people on red mountain and the people in the trailer park, we all lived in trailers, you know, even though, even though we always lived in a double wide, it wasn't a single wide. It was double wide. Let's trip. let's make that distinction right here right. And now. It's <laughs> important. And then everybody on Red Mountain lived in houses, and I felt like us in the trailer park. Even though I look back now, and and my parents did a, a wonderful job of making sure I had everything I needed, um, uh, I- including you know. Uh, name brand tennis shoes every school year. Uh, it seemed like the people on the hill always had like name brand jackets and name brand hats and everything and name brand backpacks. And for some reason, that even though I couldn't identify it psychologically at the time as a kid, I felt less than hmm. because we didn't have that. And I, I remember, you know. I don't know if you had these, but when I was a kid, we had these these thick catalogs, and they were like J.C. Sears, Sears or J.C. Penneys, yeah. and I could go through that, and they they would have full on like bedrooms set up in there, or toys, or you know different stuff, and I go through and I'd circle this stuff, and uh, I, and I I remember having this va- this very vivid imagination of what my life would be like if I had that bedroom and then sharing it with my mom and her being like, yeah, you, you know, we can't really afford any of that stuff. And, and, and to me, for some reason, the word can't afford mm. was attached to personal value, right? Like Interesting. All that stuff um, was just, it was just there. You know, I can't necessarily say that this is where I got it or that is where I got it. But also, um, I wasn't a small child, right? I've struggled with the weight and the opinion of myself my whole life. And it, I don't, I don't ever remember being called ugly, but I remember being called fat. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and other kids using that as a weapon to intentionally try to hurt me or get a reaction out of me, right? And it's all child's play stuff, but it played a huge part in my psyche um, that ended up taking me, you know, years and years to kind of 
figure out that's what was going on and and be able to start working past some of those lies of like my weight equals my value or my bank account equals my value or or that any you know in any of that stuff you know the, my girlfriend the way that she looks equals my value mm. so mm-hmm. uh, i think it comes from childhood for yeah. me yeah no like i really appreciate you sharing that because i identified with a lot of what you were saying and i totally think um agree with you that it it does it does seem to come from childhood or maybe at least that's where we first can can see it as we look back mm-hmm. um I, you know, grew up the youngest of four kids, and I think that... Me too. Um, that's right. Yeah. Um, let's have a little high five. Like, <laughs> boom. Young kids high five. Low self-esteem. Yes. <laughs> and honestly, like, I think a lot of that, a lot of the low self-worth came from, uh, you know, my siblings. Like, this idea that I was a pain in the ass to them more than anything. <laughs> You know, um, your little brother is a pain in the ass. Yeah, that's just the thing is like, it's not out of character. It's not untypical. And I was like you, right? Like, I think that it's a combination of things because I was also super, super sensitive. And I think that, you know, having that trait as a youngest child in a family, you know, where we're prone to tease and and Mm -hmm. poke fun and. And all of this stuff can really, you know, take its toll. And, and I, you know, I was um, a skinny kid until about the age of 10 or 11. And then I started getting chubby. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you better believe that I was starting to get teased. Yeah. And, you know, I had uh, an older sibling that would literally shame me, you know. And uh, sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I, I can laugh at it now. We we laugh because we relate, yeah. right? Like, um, and I'm good with that, you know. Um, but but I think that there's so much of that that really came from, you know, being exposed to that at that age, and and it's strange to think that that can have such an impact on the way that I view myself now. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it absolutely does. Like those are those foundational years, you know, where yeah. where that thinking um, is sort of ingrained in me. And and I remember a very specific event too, where um, I was at like a birthday party for a neighbor, and I think we were like eight or nine years old, and um, we were in the basement of his house. And in the basement of their house, they had like a indoor hot tub. And in that room, I don't know, like it must have been like Hugh Hefner or something to live there before these guys. Because <laughs> there was like this indoor hot tub and then mirrors all around the hot tub. And uh, I remember like we were just running around playing and I caught like a glimpse of myself in the mirror. And like I remember like stopping like in my tracks and like looking at myself and I was like, is this what other people see? Like uh-huh. I just became very acutely aware of how I looked in that moment. And I didn't like it, you know, and and I left that situation like somewhat deflated. Like all of a sudden I became, you know, very, very aware of how I looked and how I appeared to others. And um, and it knocked me down a peg or two. Yeah. Um, And I think that, you know, I I can sort of see those moments um, in my life. 
you know, different moments similar to that, you know, throughout my lifetime where, um, as you said, uh, it was very easy for me to compare what I didn't have to what others did have or seem to have or yeah. seem to have. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and equate that me being, you know, unworthy of those things, yeah. um, is the reason why I didn't have them. And so, um, yeah, I think that it, uh, it, it goes deep. It does. It goes very deep. <clears throat> it does. It's very, it's very destructive. You know, that, that, uh, especially not being able to identify it. You know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know that's what was going on with me for a very, very, very long time. Even, even when, um, I learned what self-esteem was, it didn't quite click with me that I struggled with that. You didn't have it. Yeah. I, it, it didn't, you know, because I, I had to have been fourth or fifth grade when they were, trying to explain what a self-esteem was and just the word esteem fucking threw me off and i i'd rather have been outside playing army mm-hmm. you know, i don't want to fucking mm-hmm. listen to this shit but um what ended up happening is <clears throat> as as things go um we we rely on our peers and we rely on um the authorities around us to kind of give us our opinions about the world around us. Right. And so for me, you know, pornography was, was very early in my life, alcoholism, drug addiction, smoking, all those things were, were in my life at a very young age. And so, um, I didn't come up with this stuff on my own. Right. Um, we live in a society that says, uh, if you look this certain way, you are of value, and that's why you go in this magazine. And then I have, you know, peers that are older than me showing me these magazines, going, "Okay, this is what a beautiful woman looks like." And if you have anything less than this, then obviously you're not worthy of our respect or whatever, you know. And we've talked about that on the show before. That that um, that that having these certain things that other people value, whether we believe it or not, gives us validation, but it's so thin that we continue to consume trying to find that one thing that will fill us up. The the self-confidence that, that only comes from doing a a great deal of self work. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I've I've never been able to gain self-confidence from, from a lack of that. It's never happened from doing nothing. Yeah. Right. From wanting it bad. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or compromising my own values. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, I think I do have an, uh, an innate set of values that, that tells me I have a conscience that tells me right from wrong. And, and I have this, this, uh, compass, this moral compass that, that tells me whether something is right for me or not right for me, you know? And I tried for so long to seek validation through sex and violence and, and prestige through, through, you know, drug quantities and, and, uh, shiny things, cars, you know, you name it. I tried to have all these things that were supposed to equal self-worth mm-hmm. and, and confidence. And, and I never had it right. Regardless of how thin I was, I look back at the pictures of me when I was a kid and, and I'm like, where the fuck did I get the idea that I was fat? Right. Yeah. Like, like no, nowhere near it. Right. And, and, but it was there, Mm -hmm. it was there. And so, uh, I don't know, man. The important thing is, is recognizing and and working through it, I guess. Yeah. Like, but I, I, 
I don't know. I'm a fucking why guy. I, I, I journey down that rabbit hole all the time. <laughs> like, well, where the fuck? And I think that that can be useful. Yeah. Like, I, I think that um, in a lot of instances, like looking at the why can be super helpful. But something that you said that I want to talk about is um, is this notion, you know, like this this is something I would come to to learn later that we are what we what we repetitively think about ourselves. And I, like you, had so many instances where I can look back at pictures and be like, why did I think I was fat? Like I, 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 I was chubby maybe, you know, like 10, 10 pounds of overweight, but I wasn't what I would call fat. Yeah. But what happened is like for me, like I get this negative self-talk going, you know, like, oh, I'm too fat for this. Like, oh, she won't like me because I'm fat. Oh, I'm fat. I'm fat. I'm fat. I'm fat. And and so it goes. And I, re- I slowly start adding on weight and putting on the weight. And, and, uh, and then I become fat. I yeah. became fat, you know, um, after many, many years of telling myself that. And again, here recently, you know, like um, even within the last six or seven years, this has happened to me. And, uh, and I can totally look at pictures of me from four years ago and think, man, I looked so good and think about what my thinking was at that time. And it was, oh, I look like shit. Yeah. You know, I look, I look, I look fat and, uh, and, and, and having the ability to recognize like, this is me repeating that same behavior of, of not believing that I'm worthy and of me manifesting that negative self-talk, you know, through those repetitive, yeah, that repetitive, you know, negative thinking. Yeah. Um, and so it is, it's difficult to know what to do about it or how to handle it. And, and for me, like I've had to do a lot of like one-on-one time with a therapist, you know, and really like investigate like why it happened because, um, I think that it is helpful to look back and sort of go back in time and say, this was my thinking then. If I could tell myself anything then, you know, what would I tell myself? What would I tell that 10-year-old version of Cameron that thought he was fat, you know, um, having the perspective that I do now? And, uh, and, it's, and it's helpful for me to, like, really sort of play that through and, and see, like, where I had, um, you know, like where that became a little misaligned, um, and, and be able to, I don't know, have that in mind as I, as I go throughout each day moving forward. Um, because it's a reminder today that, uh, that there's work to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the cool thing about like where you're at, you know, at the beginning of the show, we were talking about Dean, and here, here is this opportunity for you to actually tell a 10 year old you the things that you would have needed to hear. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I kind of look at my life that way because, um, you know, a, a huge, huge, uh, portion of my life goes into parenting. Um, you know, I'm very grateful to be able to sit here sober and that's the primary purpose of this show. But but there's so much more to my life than just being sober, right? Um, sobriety is what got me on this side of the table. It's what got us together. But, you know, maximizing the, the quality of life is really the mission. And and so <clears throat> as I go through and I, and I look at these children, I understand that there's somewhere 
along the line that I was that age and these problems that I have came from those places. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, um, I recognize that, you know, I can go get into this place of ego and selfishness where I'm blinded by adult responsibility and, and forget that, you know, what my responsibility to them emotionally is, is to reassure their worth, like let them know that they are worthy and, yeah. and, and do that through action by spending time with them as best I can or, or, you know, validating their accomplishments, the things that they do on their own. I think a lot of that stuff um, on a greater scale would have, would have helped. You know, my parents both worked. Um, my dad, I never saw my dad in the morning ever. Like through, I, I don't even re really remember seeing him any other time than from dinner time to the time I went to bed most days of the week except for maybe Sunday. Mm -hmm. And even on Sunday he was out doing other shit because that's what he did. He worked. And that's what that that state of people do. That's what dads do. They work, you right. know, and, and my mom worked. And so a lot of my accomplishments, the things that I would have uh, been proud of or recognized as, as something that built self-worth, I didn't have anything to validate me in that, right? I just mostly had the most amount of attention that I would get as a child was when I was in trouble. And so whenever I would would make disruptions in school, all of a sudden, you know, my parents are paying closer attention. And, and in those situations, my mom was great at, at letting me know that, that I was loved and those kind of things, but it didn't help in the long run mm. until I was long past that confusing age, right? And so now we're on this side of the table. How do we maximize our lives as far as, as validating our self-worth and, and really not just knowing that we're worthy because we hear that, right? We hear it all the time and we come into recovery and people tell us right off the rip, you know, you are worth love. Like we're going to love you. You, you. you have worth just because you're a human, you know, and, and we're like fucking whatever, man. Right. Right. But but now we're here. We really do need to, to, to be able to explain where that stuff comes from. And I think that's what's so great about this podcast and this platform is that we get an opportunity to kind of share yeah, we did have a low self-worth and there's still times that we do have a low self-worth there. It goes from moment to moment for me. I can be doing, I can be thriving like a motherfucker in every area and focus completely on the one that I'm, that I'm lacking in. Right. And, and, um, for me to be able to get past that stuff and share it, I think it's, it's a huge value to not only myself, but my kids and everybody that's listening that there are things that we can do that explain where we get self-worth from today, even though we still struggle with it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, a, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, I went on a rant, but whatever. No, I actually, I, <laughs> I actually really appreciate it because I feel like recently, because, you know, I, I'm a father now and I have little Dino burrito in my life, like, it has made me a little bit more aware of, of some of that, dialogue and some of the things that I want to be sure that, uh, that, you know, I instill in him. Um, and mind you, I want to just say, like, I'm not blaming anybody. Like, right. I'm not trying to say like the way that I am is all my parents fault. <laughs> like it's not, it's, it's not, and it's not helpful. No. Like it doesn't, you know, like it's, um, my parents did the best they could. Love you, my, mom. My siblings did the best <laughs> they could. Um, and, uh, and it, and it doesn't, it, it's irrelevant, you know, but like 
but it is my responsibility to try and do something about it now. So, um, you know, like having that awareness of what those moments may have done to me, um, is something I'm going to take with me and Mm -hmm. definitely use like, um, as he grows up and something I can, um, hopefully, uh, you know, instill in him is, is that, uh, that idea that we are all like, not only is he worthy of love, but we are all worthy of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and that nobody is better than anybody because, you know, as we're talking about it, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have this overcoming idea of low self-worth if there was nobody else in the world. Right. Right. Um, if it was just me going through things all by myself, like I'm fine, you know, and this, I mean, that's almost one of the reasons why I think that alcoholics are so, um, prone to isolate is that when we are by ourselves, we, we can think however we want about ourselves, right? Like that, that low self-worth doesn't necessarily come into play, but we become, I become so much more aware of the low self-worth I feel about myself when I'm around other people. And especially when I'm around other people who I perceive as successful. Right. Um, and, uh, and that's something that I can still struggle with today is, is I can have a great conversation with somebody that I know is fucked up like I am. But the minute that I don't know that about you, I'm assuming that you're more successful than me. It becomes difficult for me to to have that conversation. Um, And, you know, and it does come from this this thing inside of me that says you're better than I am. And because of that, I don't want to say something to you that you're going to perceive as stupid or let you know just how stupid I am. Right. Right. Um, But, you know, that being said, like. One of the one of the biggest qualities or one of the biggest phrases that I took away from um, recovery that uh, stuck with me, and when I can live my life according to this phrase, like my life is beautiful, and that is like what your opinion of me is none of my business. Right. Um, that was something that I heard in recovery, and for the first time, you know, it was something that, um, this idea that, that what you think of me, like it doesn't make a difference on how I feel about me. And when I can go through life with that attitude, I am so much more at ease. Yeah. Um, and that's how it should be. Like my, like your perception of me should make no difference of, of how I go through the world. Right. Like I should go through the world based on things that I know make me feel good or bad, like my own moral compass, my own values. Um, and, uh, and I think that, you know, I can get really, really lost when I start thinking of, you know, like, is this something that they would want me to do? Is this something that will be perceived as, you know, negative or, um, just really like how other people perceive certain actions or behaviors can really fuck me up. Yeah. So, yeah, because I, I mean, they're not gonna. Tr- nobody's gonna treat you worse than you treat yourself, anyway. Like, right. <laughs> that's all. That's all. And and nine ninety percent of the time, whatever we think their opinion of us is, is totally fucking wrong. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Nobody sees us the way that we see ourselves. You know. And and you know, as as you were talking about that stuff, 
and and being on this side of the table as far as as being sober goes the the one of the most beautiful things that i've found in recovery is that recovery has smashed every preconceived notion i had about status that it, ever mm-hmm. right because it it really did alcoholism and drug addiction put me on a on a level playing field with some of the people that rode that bus with me and come to find out that the kids on the hill were just as fucked up as I was, you know, um, um, that it didn't matter how much money their parents had and it doesn't matter how much money they have now. And it didn't matter how fit they were or what this they had or, or that when I sit in a room with a bunch of other alcoholics and addicts, what I find is no matter where they came from, they felt just like I did. Mm-hmm. They felt inferior. They felt scared. They felt uh, unworthy. And as we go through and we start, you know, dissecting this stuff, the more plain it comes, you, you know, I, I start to see more plainly that it's all in my fucking head. Yeah. Right? And that what I get to do today is practice letting you love me. That's what I get to do today is, is practice letting your opinion of me be your opinion of me and accept it as good, right? Like I don't have to prove to you. I don't, ex- I, I don't deserve your love anymore, which is something that I used to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and we hear that in so many stories, we hear it in Lauren's story, you know, like, like we go through these actions, these self-defeating actions to make sure that, that what we think you're thinking of us is true. You know, we, we what is it? Self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. We go through mm-hmm. and we burn our fucking lives to the ground because we're absolutely certain that if you find out who we are, our opinion of ourselves, right. you will have to reject us. And it's not fucking true. And so so that's that's what's so great about everything today is that I sit over here on this side of the table and when I start feeling that low self-worth or I start feeling the imposter syndrome, you know, being a father, like I, I shouldn't be a dad. I'm fuck. Yeah. yeah. I, I fucking hated myself when I woke up this morning and fucking, you know, my shirt's too tight and I didn't say something nice to my wife. And I start, you know, I start just dissecting everything that I think is fucking wrong. And then I get that imposter syndrome. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing being a parent? You know, what am I doing being a sponsor? What am I doing being a business owner? I'm just going to mess all this stuff up. None of that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to let it all go and be in the moment and, and know that it's going to pass and that uh, regardless of what I think of myself, Cameron loves me. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a fucking, that's my disease, man. Yeah. I yeah. have, I have the disease of separation. Yep. Get me the fuck away from everybody so I can die. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that because it really is like, I, you know, I, I, I can forget sometimes how how um, askewed my thinking might be uh, because I'm an alcoholic and an addict, and and for me, like that's what that that's what happens when I'm not drinking and I'm not working a program yeah. is that I I start believing the negative the negative self talk. I start believing all the bullshit that I'm hearing, you know, go on inside my head. And like, there's many, many, many a times where I can see that as a call to action. Like, okay, like, 
you know, I'm doing a little bit of head running and I know I've, you know, I've talked to you many, many times where I'm like, oh, I'm just doing some head running, you know, like, um, and I can at least usually recognize it and say, okay, well, I probably need to do something like go yeah. to a meeting or talk to another alcoholic or whatever the case is. But I mean, this is something that, you know, I've dealt with my whole life, um, you know, along the lines of low self-worth and hypersensitivity. I've also got this, you know, this overthinking thing where I can just overthink myself to death and I can assume that I know what everybody else is thinking. And then I, you know, I act as if it's true. Um, (laughs) acting as if it's true. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's where the destruction comes in. Um, you know, like I'm basing my actions on false pretenses, um, or on things that may not even be fact. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, today it's definitely a lot better than it was. And that's only, you know, as a result of staying plugged in to these people, places and things that I know are helpful for me, like a program of recovery, um, people in, in, uh, in, in the rooms that know how I feel, that knows how this feels. Cause we're three people, me, you, and now Lauren who have this same thing, yeah. right? We all have this same way of thinking and we all have this thinking in common. And so there's some comfort that comes from the three of us engaging in conversation about this. Yeah. Like, Hey, one, I'm not alone Two, Like we could probably figure this out together. Mm-hmm. And three, like, Let's let's fucking quit fucking around. Yeah. Like it's not even true, you know. Yeah, exactly. Identifying the truth in it. What's actually true? Yeah. So yeah, I'm just you know it makes me just super grateful to to be here and to have a you know a topic like this. Yeah. It, well, it's good for me to remember um, that it's a moment to moment basis, and and honestly, man, re- recovery has been the greatest self-confidence building mission uh, accomplishment that I've, that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It, at first day one, um, it was, it was staying sober one day. That was, that right. was a huge fucking accomplishment, man. You know, and I got friends that are struggling right now that I'm, that I'm in contact with that are struggling with, with one week at a time, one day at a time. They're, they're coming in and out they're, They want to get sober and we're just supporting them through it. <clears throat> and then, <clears throat> you know, as I went through and I think about everything that I do in my life is kind of to make me feel better about myself. I think, you know, as, as we've been sharing this, like, like I got sober because I wanted to feel better about myself. Mm. I was fucking tired of hating myself. And then I started doing the steps because I wanted to do, feel better about myself. And as, as I moved into my career and, and became, you know, when I started in the career that I am in now, I couldn't build dick. And so I started focusing on, you know, how can I be a better framer? How can I be a better finished carpenter? How can I, you know, provide better tools for myself? You know, can I take money from this place to buy a better piece of equipment? You know, all those things were, were confidence builders. And when I go in and I do the steps with, with my sponsor there to, to make me feel it's to make me feel better about myself because the voice of negativity starts getting louder and louder and louder like you like you were talking about and and I need to take action and and the illusion that it's ever going to be different is something that uh I dream of right like mm-hmm. like I have this dream that one day I'll just fully just accept who I am and just have all this self-love and 
And I think, well, w- would that even be great? Like, <laughs> cause, cause then what would the point of working on myself be? Um, but I'm grateful that, that I have enough self love to want to work on myself. Right. Right. I I'm grateful that I can feel the love of other people enough to want to be able to love them back. Yeah. Right. Because my selfishness can get in the way of all that shit. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, not only am I not feeling your love, I'm certainly not loving you back. And I'm destroying myself through the process. And you're dying along with me. Right. Like we never, our ship never sinks alone. Mm-hmm. It never sinks alone. Mm-hmm. And and to be able to, to work on ourselves like this, you know, when, when, you, uh, when you left... Um, the IRS or like what Jordan's doing with his college stuff, you know, those things are all to make our lives better. Right. All this stuff is to make our lives better. Mm-hmm. And, and when we can stand back and really feel the accomplishments that we have, because sitting on this side of the table sober is nothing short of a miracle. Right. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because I can lose sight of that so quickly. Yeah. Um, and and that's absolutely true. Like what you're saying is, um, is absolutely true. Like the, the way for me to improve and build on that self-worth comes through those accomplishments Mm -hmm. and those accomplishments are done one day at a time. When I got sober, when I got six and a half years sober, I did it one day at a time and I did it, you know, from day one and it was fucking hard, (laughs) you know? And like I don't necessarily always take the time to recognize how much of an actual accomplishment that is. Yeah. Like leaving the IRS, going back to school, like getting a new career, meeting a wife, having a child. Like here's the thing, right? Is like I can see these all as accomplishments, but and we've talked about this before, but I'm so quick to to get into the yeah buts, right? Yeah, I get that it was an accomplishment, but I didn't exactly get the job that I wanted. Or, yeah, like I know that I lost all that weight, but there's still this pesky, you know, yeah. five pounds, right? And so I'm st- I, I can get really lost in that to the point where I have to make a very conscious decision to shut that off shut. and recognize that as the addict you know, sneaking in the back door. Like, yeah, of course it's there. Like I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic. So of course I'm always going to have this idea or this, you know, this voice in the back of my head that wants to discredit my accomplishments because that will keep me sick. That will keep me drinking and that will kill me. Like I have this disease and it will, it wants to see me dead, but it will settle for me drunk, you know? (laughs) And it's yeah you know i can I mean? identify with everything you're saying man. yeah so like i have to be careful i have to understand that that's the case and and being aware you know will keep me taking action because that really is like the best defense i have um in overcoming that low self-work is continuing to take action like whether it's you know going to the gym and taking care of myself physically whether it's um invoking some meditation or some prayer or um you know elevating any of these three things to you know try something new in these departments or seeing a therapist or you know working through that stuff like um action is for me 
um, the best medicine for um, overcoming that low self-worth. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, what else is there to say? Take it a moment at a time. Right. Because, yeah, you know, finding somebody new, so finding somebody with a lower self-esteem than you have and, and convincing them that are loved. You know, I heard that I heard one time that that's what recovery in action is, is finding somebody who absolutely believes they have no worth and convincing they're worthy of love. And I think if you can do that, whether you feel it or not, uh, you've, you've worked an amazing miracle in your life and in theirs. You know, yeah, feeling that self-worth. I, I, I'm convinced today that I'll never feel it the way that I think I can feel it. Right. But I can see it through the actions that I take, Mm. you know, the actions that I take, uh, show to me that I'm, I'm, I'm sincere about this way of life. You know, the actions that, that Lauren has taken show me that she's sincere about this way of life, you know, being willing to get out here and tell our stories the best that we can with the, with a clear message of, I hope this makes someone's life better. Yeah. Whether I feel it or not, mm-hmm. you know, understanding the reality of the lie inside of my head. I love what you said. I don't, I, I don't know that I've ever heard it that way and I've known you for a long time, but I have a disease that wants me dead, but it will settle for me being drunk. Yeah, and to be fair, I got that from an AA speaker, yeah. P- Peter, on YouTube. Yeah, well, um, if you say it three times, it's yours. Well, here's, here, here's what I will say is this is just a testament for all the, the good shit that's out there, you know. Yeah. That we have, we have so access to so much more stuff than the people before us did. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and these are all tools, all things that I can do. Um, to prove to myself because you know sometimes sometimes I want to listen to a funny fucking goofy ass podcast yeah and and I force myself to listen to an AA speaker you yeah. know because I know that at the end of that I'm gonna get a hell of a lot more from um, from that AA speaker than I am from from a goofy podcast yeah. um, and uh, and that's that's you know like I won't say that that's always the choice that I make, but I notice a big difference in the way I feel about myself when these are the choices that I'm making, yeah. you know? Um, and, uh, and I dare say that Lauren too, you know, you can see it in her story. She talks about, um, you know, having to face a lot of difficult circumstances in her recovery and coming to a lot of different conclusions about herself. And she's at a place now where she's doing pretty damn good yeah. spiritually. Um, and, uh, and so I'm really excited to share her story. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, you guys can hear for yourself um, just, uh, just how much she's overcome her own, overcome, overcame, overcame her own sense of low self-worth. So um, let's do it. This is, uh, this is her story. This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwash Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at the other side of the world. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Inter Amigo, Brainwash Coffee has your back no matter what your poison. 
Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code OTHERSIDE at brainwashcoffeeco.com. Clean your bean with Brainwash. And without further ado, here is this week's War Story. Hi, um, my name is Lauren, and I am an addict. Um, most of my life, I have struggled with a lot of self-worth and um, self-love issues. You know, growing up, um, my parents worked very hard, and they made uh, everything look nice from the outside. You know, we had the house, uh, the cars, the dog. Um, but I always say, you know, in those four walls, we were just five strangers. Um, I grew up in a somewhat chaotic environment. Um, although everything looked nice, uh, my parents were living paycheck to paycheck. So they were very, you know, reactive and they were always arguing about money. Um, so I think from a very early age, I was very uh, hypervigilant. I can anticipate everyone's moves. I didn't move unless I knew it was safe to move. Um, I, you know, watched everybody's emotions. Was it okay to say this? Was it okay to do that? Um, so those are some traits that I gained early on. Um, I also have a skin condition. So I was bullied a lot in school. Um, I guess one of the main themes growing up was I never really felt safe. So I was kind of always looking for that safe place and then um, always looking for love in the wrong places, really. Uh, it was always this elusive affection or this elusive love that I could never really obtain. Um, growing up, it was just always so... Uh, I was always trying to fit in. I never really fit in anywhere. So I didn't really have a place to to call my own, I guess you can say. So that's pretty much how my childhood went, um, just always being the outcast. And once I got to high school, um, I was very fortunate to have a car. And I started hanging out with these older kids who didn't have a car. So I fit perfectly within that little group. Um, and I found my little clique, right? They loved me. Um, I was convenient for them, but I finally felt like I had a place to belong. Um, so needless to say, it wasn't the great, greatest group of friends. You know, we started skipping school a lot. Um, I guess you can say I'm somewhat of a late bloomer. I uh, took my first drink at... Um, 14 and I started doing drugs at 16. So um, my drug of choice is meth. I did um, smoke it in glass and I started that at 16 years old. And um, again, always just looking for love in the wrong places and that acceptance and that um, feeling of belonging and just um, really wanting to um, feel worthy of love. Uh, along with meth use, landed me in a very um, toxic situationship, <laughs> rather. And um, so that just led down to a whole slew of problems. You know, my drug use got a lot, um, a lot more intense. We were using every day. Um, I always 
I always tried to maintain somewhat of a normal life in the day. Um, I went to school and I was working, um, but by night, you know, I was um, committing little petty crimes and and um, being little, acting like little Bonnie and Clyde and getting high. So um, that quickly, you know, escalated. And before I knew it in high school, I wasn't going to graduate. Um, and then I ended up pregnant and I refused to uh, become another teen statistic. So I, um, I got, you know, my shit together. And um, luckily, the, the situationship that I was in, uh, the minute I said I'm pregnant, he kind of ran off. So he was, um, that allowed me to kind of focus on myself because um, he was really one of my big addictions as well. You know, being um, addicted to love is, is definitely a thing. And um, so I did, I was able to stay clean for about a year and I walked the stage six months pregnant. Um, but you know, my sickness, my addiction was, was pretty strong. And I told myself, you know, after having the baby, um, I'll just use a little while just to lose some weight, you know, just, just to get the baby weight off and, and, and then I can go back to normal. Um, but like, as you hear many of our stories, uh, addiction is a very progressive disease. And when you start back up, you start right back where you left off. So um, that's kind of where I started up again at 18. And um, it just went downhill from there. Um, I think when I finally, you know, uh, hit my rock bottom, um, it, it was once I, my life started to deteriorate, um, I started to, you know, lose everything one by one. And, you know, the craziness of the addiction, I'll bring up a story really quick um, that I could remember, is I used to work at a college and um, I used to work in like one of those um, um, testing centers. So I would test, I would administer the test for like placement. And, um, you know, just having to like take breaks to to go get high really fast just to be able to finish my day um, or, you know, be able to stress out. I would make up some crazy excuse that I would have to leave early and um, just slowly abandoning all my responsibilities and really just kind of losing the life that I had worked so hard to build. Um, one thing I can say, and I'll bring this up because it has to do with um, how I got sober, is one thing I could really say is that my son was one of the, the um, he was my rock during my addiction. He was something that I was always able to kind of keep from really falling completely under. Um, so if it ever came down to, you know, his best interest or, or my, my addiction and my, my drug use, I would always choose him. So um, things again, only got worse and I ended up homeless. Um, not because of my drug addiction, ironically, but, you know, my parents kind of started to, um, really struggle financially and they ended up losing their house. And when I saw this, I, um, I kind of knew that I had to get my life together, um, on a fast track. 
So I stopped going to regular college and I enrolled into like a trade school to, to try to fast track my way into a career. But unfortunately, I, I didn't beat the time frame that um, was set forth when my parents were going through foreclosures. So when they lost the house, uh, we were homeless. So me and my son, we, um, we were living in my car while I was finishing out my time in, in the trade school. And throughout this whole time, you know, my, my addiction kind of took a, a little bit of a backseat because I was really just trying to figure out how to survive. Um, one thing I am a little grateful for um, when I did run the streets a little bit, uh, you know, in my previous years was that I learned a lot of survival skills. So that really came in handy when, um, when it was just me and my son living in my car on the street. And um, uh, just simple things like learning like where to to park in um, a well-lit area or to move the car every two hours because I didn't want to fall asleep and someone catch us and and you know want to try to break in I was not even 20 maybe 21 at the time so I'm a young female with a really young child in the car um, so I would set my alarm like every two hours in the night to try to move to a new parking spot um, just so, so no one would kind of catch on to that routine. Um, and just certain things like that. I'm not going to lie. You know, I did, I did get high, um, during that time I would, I would, you know, hit up a lot of my so-called friends at the time and, and say, Hey, I'll smoke you out. If you give us a place to stay for the night, or, you know, can I shower my son at your house for a little bit? Um, things like that. So I was still using, um, I couldn't quite completely kick the habit. Um, and then, you know, baby daddy is in and out of my story through this whole time. And uh, he's in and out of jail. And he happens to get out and he's driving my car around and he ends up getting it impounded. So then I am on the street homeless without a car. And um, at this point, I'm feeling so so defeated, you know, everything is just slowly. Um, well, actually, th at this point, it's not slow anymore. I'm losing everything like back to back to back. Um, and I, I really don't know what to do anymore. Um, but it wasn't until believe it or not, none of that stopped me from from using until um, DCFS actually got involved. And again, it wasn't due to my drug use. It was actually due to an incident that that happened. Um, but DCFS ended up getting involved and, and they, um, ended up, um, taking custody of my son. And once that happened, um, I also found out that I was pregnant from the time that baby daddy did come around. So now I am on the street with no car and I'm pregnant and DC and fighting a DCFS case for custody of my son. Um, I think that's, you know, like I said, my son was my main rock. So once that really, um, once that incident really happened, it, it really broke me. Um, that was, that was definitely my rock bottom moment. And I, I, I remember looking up and saying, okay, God, I'm done. I'm not going to try to do it my way anymore. Just tell me what to do, where to go from here. And um, ironically, it led me to the rooms of AA. And I also had to uh, to do a program 
um, to get my son back. So that that helped a lot. Um, and then slowly, you know, with getting a sponsor and working the steps and uh, uh, just just kind of doing, you know, working a spiritual program, really working on myself and getting back into um, getting back into who I would really, really am inside and, and not chasing all these uh, elusive self-sabotaging behaviors. Um, I really found, you know, my way back to, to, uh, to life. And um, from there, you know, I, I got my son back as it's almost ironic as quickly as I lost everything. Once I got clean, um, it's like, you know, that fog lifts up and you can see everything um, so much clearer. And as, as quickly as I lost um, everything, things started to fall back into to place, you know. So half of my uh, time in program, I was still homeless and I hid it from everyone, you know, in group and, and from the counselors. And I was drug testing until one time um, I almost fainted in group. And they're like, what is wrong with you? You don't really look well, but you're testing clean. You're pregnant. Like, what's going on? You know, like what? something does not make sense here. And I'm like, well, yeah, I haven't really slept or eaten in days and I'm six months pregnant, um, still on the street. And they're like, what, why haven't you said anything? Um, and they, they got me into a sober living for women and children. So I finally had a place to stay. And shortly after I got custody of my son back, um, I had my daughter and I just never really looked back from there. I just kept going. I still work my spiritual program to this day. Um, by the grace of God, I'll have 10 years in March. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't be possible without uh, a spiritual program to keep me in check because um one of the things that is really a theme throughout my story is not feeling worthy, you know, never really feeling worthy of love, um, always chasing acceptance. And it, um, the main thing that recovery uh, in particular gave me is um, self-love and, you know, learning to, to really love myself and, and um, know that I'm worthy just, you know, because I'm here. And, um, that's something that I do, you know, work on uh, to this day, or this is something I continue to ask myself every day. So how I how I live day by day is, what would someone who loves themselves do in this moment or in this situation? That is a question I literally ask myself all the time, <laughs> um, because it's something that really does help me operate in a... Um, uh, a higher self vibration, I guess you can say, because, you know, I'm an addict in every sense of the word, I will still sabotage, self sabotage to this day. Um, I love to be consumed in anything that feels good. So I definitely have to keep myself in check and make sure that I'm working my program on a daily basis. And um, I know that, uh, I think I'm kind of short, but I think that's pretty much all I have. If you want to follow me on Instagram, um, my handle is at for queen underscore mentality. 
um, you can make sure to, to check my page out. I definitely promote a lot of self-growth and self-love um, on that page, as well as my story. Please feel free to reach out if you need anything. I'm always available and I always reply and respond to all those messages. So go ahead and um, feel free to reach out to me on there. Ooh, love that. Yeah. yeah, identify with that. I can always self-sabotage. Yeah, burn my life to the ground. But she's right. I mean, absolutely. Like, I have to be sure I'm working that program daily. Like, yeah. this is this is a reason for me to remind myself daily through, again, my actions that I am worth the work. We say it all the time on, on the show. Um, and... And I love that people have picked up that phrase because it's so, it's something I have to remind myself of constantly. Yeah. Thank you for your story. Yes. I mean, because we have to ask ourselves, is that true? Am I worth the work? Sometimes I fucking, the, the crazy thing about the way that I think and, and like her, you know, I'm an addict in every sense of the word. I'll consume myself with anything that feels good um, is, is like I, 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 can, can I look through my day and find nothing that I did right? Mm. And the answer is no. Like, there's always more right than wrong. It's just convincing myself of that. Right. You know, but, I mean, Lauren had a fucking ride. Yeah. You know, and, and coming from, again, starting his, at, at childhood, uh, having that feeling of being unsafe, right? The parents doing probably the best they could. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's ever our intention to go, I hope I fuck this kid up. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that ever happens. And it sounds like her parents were very well-meaning, but you know, the atmosphere inside the house may not have always been great. And I think, you know, she's, she's got some instances of being bullied. Um, and, yeah, which and I, I could identify with uh, I, myself as well. Like she was because of her skin condition. I was because I was fat. Like, you know, like I think that this stuff happens to us at such a, a critical age that, uh, that it becomes easy to just believe it and run with it. Yeah. And, you know, and she talked about, she talked about being a late bloomer, but it didn't sound so late with some of For, this stuff. Yeah. Compared to you. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, she gets she gets into the the meth and the double life and yeah. you know, one one day she's going to school and being a good girl and then outside of that she's off committing all the crimes that she can yeah. to get the the next fix and um it, it 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 I was I was blown away when she was telling us about being in treatment in recovery, doing her thing, staying sober and still being homeless. Right. Like that's a, that's a great illustration of, um, our, you know, our stubborn headedness, our inability to ask for help, you know, to do it our way. And, and it sounds like, you know, when she was finally forced to talk about it because it, it wouldn't have came, I mean, she, she, she looks pretty, she looks pretty strong-willed, right? Yeah. Like, um, she's going to make it through this no matter what. And, and again, the love, love for a child is, is pretty intense. And so doing all those things, trying to get her son back and then being pregnant on top of it, finally forced to saying, you know, I'm fucking still homeless. Yeah. I haven't eaten for a while. 
and and then accepting the help that that landed her you know being able to to find recovery the way that she has now and 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 it's crazy how we end up here but it's always such a beautiful story when we come from a place like she was talking about knowing how to survive on a street because of a drug drug active life gaining survival skills while fucking running around doing meth to where you have to use those skills as a homeless mother, right? You know, moving your car and living in your car and 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 surviving a moment by moment into where she's at today, like it's just such a an amazing thing. And and I hope that that you can go back, Lauren, and, and measure backwards and and see the amazing accomplishment that that is. And and if that was all you did up to this point. That's something worthy of love. That's something worthy of self-love, you know, wanting to get out of that and and wanting to make your children's lives better and all that stuff is is a demonstration of Mm self-love, of worth. Oh, yeah. So hard for us to see it. Fuck. Yeah. Makes me crazy. Guilty as charged. (laughs) Makes me crazy. Yeah, me too. But I do appreciate that story. It was so great. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. For sharing. Finally getting it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, such a good topic, you know. Good, good, it's a good reminder that that uh, I still got work to do. Right. And I hope that I always do have work to do. I hope I'm always willing to do the work to be a little bit better person than I was yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. My sponsor, my sponsor always says, just try to be a little less fuckhead today than I was yesterday. <laughs> that sounds like him. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I think that it's always going to be good for me to talk about this particular thing because it's always something that, you know, like I've um, struggled with, I continue to struggle with, and I think by opening up and sharing it and talking about it openly, like it uh, it just is a reminder for me that, you know, I'm not alone. Yeah. Um, and I don't have to do this shit alone. So thank you for being here. Yeah, for me. you bet, man. Um, I appreciate everybody that tunes into the show. Yeah, who always shares their comments, their love, and we appreciate all that. Um, and uh, and thanks for coming out, you guys, to help us do a show. Thanks, Jordan. Jordan. Thanks, Ryland. J Town. Appreciate you guys. And uh, let's do this again in about a week. All right. Sounds good. Sound? Yeah. All right. So remember, guys, you are worth the work. See you on the other side. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.